2: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Lines. First off, let me apologise to regular listeners for the gap in transmission last week. For various boring reasons, I wasn't able to publish an episode, but we're back on track and we'll be continuing our normal weekly schedule of podcasts. So let's get straight on with this week's episode
1: we have to cast a broader uh, look at this and and not just look at poisonings i mean you know the the number of people falling out of windows you know guys like you and i we upgrade windows in russia windows upgrade you
0: On the 16th of February this year, the world learned the sad news that Alexei Navalny had died in a Russian penal colony. We don't know what killed him, and the Russians have made it very difficult for anyone to find out, but of course speculation turns to the possibility that he was poisoned with Novichok, remembering of course that that's exactly what happened to him in 2020, when he found himself in agonizing pain on an internal flight and was luckily able to be evacuated to Germany in time to save his life. This isn't a podcast about Navalny, it feels a bit too early to try to do that, but I did want to explore the issue of chemical weapons, of poisonings, of assassinations, and there's literally no one better to discuss that with than Dan Kajeta. Dan is a former member of the US Army Chemical Corps, he worked in the Secret Service protecting US presidents against chemical weapons, and is the author of numerous books and articles on the subject.
1: I'm Dan Kazita. I'm currently an Associate Fellow of the Royal United Services Institute. Uh, I'm the author of uh, four books, uh, several more in the pipeline. Uh, perhaps the most relevant book to this discussion is Toxic, A History of Nerve Agents, from Nazi Germany to Putin's Russia. And I'm here to talk to Arthur Snell.
0: Dan, well, it's great to have you. And of course... Uh to to be an author of a book on nerve agents, uh, people will ask, how did you get into this? So um let's start a little bit with with your backstory, because there aren't many people who are experts on chemical weapons, or if they are, they tend to be sort of in, in uh rather secretive parts of the Russian or the Syrian state. But you're hmm. you're you're an American citizen and you're an expert on chemical weapons. So how did that come about?
1: Well, I guess because I've spent my career Pretty much, you know, really, we should probably sue J.K. Rowling over this, because we used to use the expression defense against the dark arts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I spent a whole career in the defense against the dark arts, the protection of people against chemical and biological and radiological threats. And that happened to me kind of by mistake, because it was the late 80s. I was in university. I was an army cadet on an army scholarship, yeah. uh, U.S., Army gets the majority of its officers through this thing called the Reserve Officer Training Corps, which is basically university students who take military training alongside their their uh, their university studies, and you get you know transmogrified, transmuted into an army officer at the end of it. And I really, really wanted to be a military intelligence officer. I was studying political science. I was uh, the U.S. has a major minor system. My minor was in Russian language. I was doing interesting stuff with a military intelligence reservist unit, you know. Uh, but the year I graduated and got turned into an army officer, it was 1991. And that was the year that the Soviet Union was collapsing in real time. <laughs> in real time. Uh, and it was also the year that the uh, U.S. had this big dust up, the first Gulf War. Yeah. You know? uh, and that, that, that war, organizationally for the U.S. Army, was a bit of a panic about preparedness The defense against the dark arts. So I got almost literally frog marched into the U.S. Army Chemical Corps kicking and screaming. Uh, And the U.S. Army Chemical Corps is that branch, that regiment that is responsible for, in the old days, the bad old days, which ended, you know, long before my time, it was responsible for both offensive chemical warfare and defense against uh, chemical and biological radiological threats. By the time I got there, the offense was pretty much gone and uh, emphasis was on defense. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I st- that's, how, that's how I started out. Uh, I started out in an you know, area of a political science major, Russian linguist. I passed the Russian exam. I'll give you a uh, uh, And I did well because I knew i didn't know anything so i did better than the chemical engineers <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, mostly because uh, well you know there's a right way there's a wrong way and there's an army way there's guys, yeah. those guys all knew the right way <laughs> i had no choice but to learn the army way from first principles and you can say what you want about the us army there's a manual for everything right. i know because i later wrote chapters in some of those manuals <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so that just starting with this first point about offensive and defensive the yeah. Not so long ago, in in sort of historical terms, both the US and the UK were users of chemical weapons. So what, what's the history with that?
1: Okay, uh, well, spe- specifically, uh, both the US, and to be honest, uh, the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union's predecessor state, uh, Tsarist Russian, uh, you know, uh, all this goes back to the First World War, where chemical weapons were... Okay, I I guess the way to describe the First World War is there's really sort of a have a go Henry kind of war. Uh, And it was a technological war. Uh, It was a weird hybrid of things, because on the one hand, you still had, you know, horses and cavalry. Okay, and a lot of single shot rifles and bayonets and stuff like that. But you had you had the fruits of the industrial revolution you know, in terms of mechanical engineering and chemical engineering and electrical engineering all being put to use. So a lot of things, if they didn't completely made their debut, they made the sort of the, the major debut, the sort of on yeah. Broadway, oh, West End debut, <laughs> West Front debut. Yes. Uh, um, things like machine guns. Machine guns had been used before, but they were just truly widespread. Uh yeah. motorized of course
0: the, the battle tank the made, oh, yeah, it, tanks, made its debut.
1: Yeah. Tanks, barbed wire. Now barbed wire had been invented in the 1860s, but you know, barbed wire. Um more mundane things like tele- uh, telegraph and, and the advent of you know telegraph, telephone, and the very earliest advent of you know wireless uh uh communication, uh submarines. Um yeah. You know, steel plated dreadnoughts, you know, sort of ironclad warships that made their debut during the American Civil War. But, you know, as proper seagoing vessels, it was the age of the dreadnought. But also aircraft, both heavier than air and lighter than air, zeppelins. And so in that context, you know, throwing, throwing uh exotic chemicals at the enemy uh i'm not going to say it makes sense none of this makes sense uh but you know you, it, it's, it's in context yeah. And so this is a war where every, every side was trying to use the best brains and best industrial capabilities they had to try to uh try to win the war and chemical warfare was was part of that and it was honestly of all those technologies listed it was probably the most disappointing um uh for a lot of reasons. I mean, it, it was a category of warfare that didn't live up to the you know, the views, the uh, the uh, claims of its proponents. I mean, yeah. uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, partly because things, you know, chemicals tend to behave differently in the field than they do in the lab. And you have a bunch of guys who only understand how they behave in the lab, trying to replicate that in, in the trenches or on those steps of the Eastern Front. And it didn't work as well as they we wanted to. Yeah. Uh, had it, uh, and so in this vast war where you know 20 million people got killed, less than 100,000 got killed by chemical weapons. Uh, right. you know, yeah. Here's a here's a fascinating uh, statistic from the German army: more German soldiers died from saber wounds, from cavalry sabers, uh, than wow. died from, from from chemical warfare. In um, World War One, Extraordinary. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. We, we
0: it's become partly because of the, the war yeah. poets. It's become yeah, such yeah, a culturally a, significant yeah, yeah. story.
1: Yeah. I mean, also because it was a category where a lot, well, a lot of the effects of the chemicals that were being used uh, in the First World War wouldn't affect you immediately. They would affect you hours or even a day later. So yeah. they were they, uh, 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 more likely to make you a bit sick as opposed to kill you. So these were things that were Horrible nuisances, uh, actuarial problems for the people paying uh, pensions after the war, but not things that would actually win or lose a particular battle. Not yeah. to mention they were unreliable because uh, a change in weather conditions could take a useful chemical warfare attack and turn it useless or even worse, you know, put it back onto your own people. So, yeah, yeah you know, this there is a fallacy out there that chemical warfare is somehow some sort of technological advance over conventional warfare. I think, you know, you could have made a, you could have theoretically made an argument to that effect at some point, but um, certainly not in this day and age. Now, mm. moving forward to what you asked about the U.S. and, and, and the Soviet Union, uh, this was a front in the Cold War, research yeah. and development in chemical weapons, uh, largely based on knowledge captured from the Nazis uh, from, you know, uh, I mean, we all know about the nuclear arms race. There was, there were both chemical and biological arms races going on uh, a little bit under the waterline. You, know, you know, it wasn't as, wasn't as, uh, well, it didn't cost as much money. It wasn't mm. as uh, visually distinctive. I mean, you know, you, uh, you know, people used to sit around in car parks in Las Vegas and, and look at the glow of the nuclear, of the nuclear tests. Okay. Uh, Hard uh, to hide. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, they talk about something that's earth shaking, even a small nuke uh, shakes the earth so much so that a microphone on the other side of the world says, somebody's up to something. Mm. Uh, Whereas what happens behind the walls of a lab is hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fortunately, the U.S. and the Soviet Union never came to, you know, never came to. Uh, direct blows during during the Cold War. There was a lot of proxy conflict. Neither side really trusted its proxies with with the the full gamut of their capabilities. Uh, it's not like the U.S. gave sarin to the South Vietnamese or anything like that. Um, so that capability went went untested, uh, and actually in 1969, 1970, uh, an unlikely hero of the story, Richard Nixon, Hmm. uh, basically starts the process of um, getting America out of that business. He unilaterally gets America completely out of the biological business. I mean, despite what the cranks and weirdos say, the U.S. got out of biological weapons very quickly in the early 70s. Uh, incinerated the whole lot, is sterilized everything. Even brought in civilian observers from, you know, public health authorities uh, to to observe the whole thing, and you know, got out of biological weapons yeah. and stopped development of the chemical weapons. So the U.S. chemical weapons program was sort of passed in in an aspect right. uh, in, in in about 1969. Uh, but if you think about everything else in the world has changed since 1969. Uh, military technology came a long way. So, you know, chemical weapons are, were stuck at a certain level, and the lethality, reliability, economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, of conventional fire, uh, firepower uh, uh, grew and grew and grew and grew.
0: Nixon made this choice from an ethical perspective, or I mean, it's something we don't often say about Nixon, but was this a sort of case study of that, or was there some yeah. other thing driving him?
1: He gets painted into a corner by the fact that he was a Republican, but he was a Republican at a, at, a, at a time when both the Democrats and the Republicans were a very broad test. It's not like it is now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, you have to view this in the context of several things. One, uh, arms control in general on principle. OK, so arms control treaties, negotiations with the uh, with, with the Soviet Union became a more serious thing. Uh, trying to actually talk to your enemies, as opposed to just rhetoric, so and that involved diplomacy, the détente diplomacy with the Soviet Union, it also involved normalizing relations with what everybody at the time called "Red China." Okay. Yeah. Uh, but domestically, uh, he was really the 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 beginning of serious environmental regulation. Okay. Mm. Uh, he, the U.S. EPA, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, all go straight back to Nixon. Okay. Yeah. That was Nixon's doing. Uh, and I think you have to view this in the context of all that. And then it starts to make sense. Yeah. Now, in a lot of ways, Nixon was very venal, paranoid, but I mean, I mean I'm not going to say corrupting that. I don't really think he ever tried to enrich himself. No. Uh no. No. Well, he lived
0: quite humbly in, yeah. in his post-presidential um, yeah. era, didn't he? Yeah. yeah.
1: He was not a man of expensive tastes. Uh, his, you know, his crookedness was all about staying in power. So he, yeah. Watergate was about him cheating in an election, basically, that he didn't need to cheat in because he, he was a shoe in <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Uh, it was one of the great landslides of, of history, the fact that, you know, uh, you know, that fa- the fact that he cheated in that when it was so unnecessary for him to cheat. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So so Nixon begins the the sort of arms control process and gets America out of the the offensive yeah. chemical, biological weapons game. What 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 were the Russians or the Soviets doing at the same time?
1: Uh, well, first of all, the Soviets, you know, spent the entire Cold War pretty much denying that they had any of it.
3: OK. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, everybody knew that wasn't true. Uh, but the official thing was a denial. Yeah. uh, uh and during the period that the u.s stopped its offensive development their their offensive development continued yes okay uh I mean, there was a lot of sort of intelligence back you know, stuff going back and forth uh the the, the u.s wanted to get intelligence of in what the soviets were doing almost completely hit a hit a wall there mm. uh the Soviets were trying to get intelligence of what the U.S. was doing. Uh, the U.S. pulled a pretty good cue by leaking some fake information to the Soviets. Uh, yeah. And the Soviets spaffed a lot of money chasing sort of you know red herrings or or making making the nerve agent Soman, which is sort of easily 20 or 30 times more expensive than Saren and not tactically any better, Okay, right. based on the fact that they were convinced that the Americans were doing it. So therefore, they had to do it. I see. Uh, yeah, I mean, the 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 precursor, one of the one of the precursor chemicals, is just so hideously expensive compared to you know uh, its its counterpart in the in the in the sarin, in the uh, in the uh, sarin production process. Yeah. Uh, so you get this. The Soviets had this thing called the Foliant program, okay, uh, which was the research program that developed the so-called Novichoks. I mean, it's a, it's a category error to claim that these things are well. It's one thing. Oh, Novichok. Novichok is just a, a nickname It means newcomer. It's a, and it's also really a category error, you know, to say that this is some radical new thing. These were basically product improvements as they looked right. at. These were these were these were incremental product improvements over the existing chemical warfare agents that were in mass production uh, We have no idea uh, no real evidence that, it, that these Novichuk substances entered you know mass production uh, by the 1980s there was a fair bit of good, Diplomacy going on in this this area between the US and the Soviet Union. in uh, a lot of uh, you know the, you know, even though the, officially the Cold War was still going on, if you look at something like 1985, 1986, the relationships between Washington and Moscow are far better than they are now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and there was a lot of exchange of information. Uh, there was an agreement between the Soviet Union and, and the US called the Wyoming Memorandum of Understanding, uh, where they exchanged technical documents. Now the Soviets did offer up anything of this Novichuk stuff at the time. That only came out later because of a, a, of a uh, So we don't know how much of this Novichuk stuff was ever made, whether it really got out of the lab or not. Uh, what we yeah. do know is there was a vast research and development apparatus that had that lived a sheltered uh, privileged existence in the Soviet Union. to developed chemical weapons. And these guys are constantly under the cost to justify their 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 existence. Uh, so, and there was a lot of crookedness going on. A lot of yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of. <laughs> uh, it, it reads like you know you read read the really accounts of I mean, this, and there's not that yeah. many accounts of it. But you read what's going on. There's an awful lot of wasted money. Okay, right. Appalling laboratory safety practices. <laughs> uh, uh, and you know whether they had a lot to show for it or not, but there was at least a small number of these new nerve agent uh, chemicals that were, you know, uh, in some ways by Soviet standards better than the, yeah. than the sort of earlier generations of them. That doesn't make them miracle, you know, miracle weapons. Uh, you know, partly because I think that you know the most of the major issues in chemical warfare are, are technical issues where, you know, either solved or unsolvable. The unsolvable ones are things like you can't make, you can't make something go upwind. Okay. Right. You can't make a liquid flow uphill. Okay, yes. uh, You can't take a hot day and turn it into a cold. one. I mean, you can take a cold day and turn it into a hot one, but that's nuclear weapons. Um, right. Uh, and there's a point at which additional toxicity in, in nerve agents is kind of pointless. I mean, once something reaches a certain, a very small amount is going to kill something, whether it's a 80, 80% or 105% of that small amount, this really doesn't make a difference compared yeah. to all the other factors that kill this. So I submit to you that the, that the issue of toxicity in chemical warfare agents ages was solved in about 1962. Okay. Uh, so they were looking at things like, well, what is the boiling point of this thing? Is it going to stay liquid at cold temperatures? Right. The U.S. didn't care about that. The U.S. more or less reckoned that, you know, really cold water weather is not good chemical work at the time anyway. Uh, but the Soviet Union has this massive, massive frontier uh, with, with a possible enemy named China. Uh, and most of that frontier is in is in Siberia <laughs> yeah. or Central Asia, where it really is very cold much of the year. So I can see why uh, having sort of, you know, a a cold weather, you know, agent makes some sense in sort of 1970 logic, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so an interesting question about what the... Because obviously what you've got is a story where uh, the the West stopped its offensive development. The Soviets carried on, albeit, you know, not not disclosing that. Um, But were they... um, Were they developing these weapons with a view to sort of general battlefield use or for something that is more like what we have started to see during the Putin era, which is a tool of of assassination and, and, and okay. of, of kind of very targeted.
1: Well, I, I think it's I, I think it's really I think there's there's multiple prongs to the floor. There, the, the chemical weapons industry in the Soviet Union was designed to fight wars. OK. Yeah. Uh, happened to it, it happened as a byproduct of that to stumble over things that might be useful for assassinations. Uh, the, the history of assassinations with chemicals by the secret services, uh, even predates, even predates uh, the, the Soviet regime, the czarist uh, Okorana, uh, I think, poisons some, some, some people at various points. Uh, certainly, there were, there were political poisonings uh, uh, yeah, in czarist Russia. Um, so, it's, it's, If you think about it, the the, the sort of catalog of stuff is useful for a political or terrorist type poisoning of, of an individual. Is hundreds of that, that's that's a, that's a hundreds that's a thick, dense hundreds of pages catalog. Yeah. Uh, the list of chemicals is actually practically useful in in, in, in chemical warfare. Is basically 2 eight, four sheets of paper. Okay. Right. Uh, so, uh, because you're you're in the warfare scenario, you're you're looking at a lot of criteria that aren't just how poisonous something is.
0: No, it's Uh, delivery mechanisms, climate, all all the things you were talking about in terms of of environmental uh, or
1: very similar stuff like, is it a solid? Right? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, guess what? Most poisons are solids. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Uh, uh, The the bigger the, the, the bigger the the bigger the molecule, the much more likely it is to be a solid at room temperature. things that are solids, you have to do stuff to it to try to make it a useful chemical weapon. Uh yeah. and it, at, to, up to the point where it gets kind of pointless. Uh you know, uh, you know, most things you know, most of your pharmaceuticals are solids, even the ones that look like the liquids, they're they're liquids because they're dissolved in a liquid as a carrier, you know. So yeah. uh and also delivery mechanism, you know, uh if things are far more poisonous. If you can eat them or inject them, I mean, you know, things that happen to be poisons because you inhale them, you get this whole, well, it's got to be in the right state to be able to be inhaled. Uh, so that really narrows it down. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of sort of toxic industrial chemicals that would theoretically otherwise be possible chemical ha- agents, uh, a lot of them are flammable. So, you know, you put it in an artillery shell and fire it out of a cannon and blow it up and you know, it all burns up yeah yeah uh and there was a lot of trial and error and that sort of stuff in the first world war and a lot of the the, the, the there's another whole a4 list uh, sheet of paper of stuff that was tried in the first world war and walked away from because it was kind of pointless <laughs> right uh you know so yeah your, your catalog your catalog is much deeper your your forms of delivery are you know, more precise it's running up and pricking somebody with a needle or firing a tiny little pellet into the thigh like happened with georgie markov or putting something in the food or, drink or spraying something directly into somebody's face all that all of that is a different type of engineering than what goes into making thousands of artillery shells that are yes. all supposed to behave exactly the same yeah okay. uh there's a you can make a bespoke, you know, spray device to just deliver a little bit of a chemical warfare agent or some other poison right in somebody's face. Uh, that's not really the sort of thing you mass produce to give to soldiers.
0: No, absolutely. So then, at the end of the Cold War, uh, there was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, supposedly a process by which uh, the, the the Soviet and then Russian programs were um, decommissioned. And, and they would no longer be involved in this type of activity. But yeah. that clearly didn't happen. So what, what is well, the story actually,
1: there? Well, actually, yeah, yes and no. Uh, so okay. uh, the, 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 log- the logical progression of, of Nixon starting, uh, if you start Nixon, uh, his getting out of this stuff, uh, that was part of him sort of offering up, you know, something to uh, to the table to get the ball rolling on international treaties.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, and, you know, it took a long time for the chemical treaty to come around, but, you know, over the course of the 70s and 80s, uh, the countries of the world and more importantly, the chemical industry because the chemical industry really wasn't going to work without buying from the major chemical companies. Yeah. Uh, so you get this thing called the Chemical Weapons Convention and, and the Chemical Weapons Convention institutes a, an actual organization to enforce it, the Organization for Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. You get this um, process whereby to join, if you, if you sign the treaty, you undertake to declare everything you have and to undergo inspections. Okay? Yeah. And so to the extent to which the Soviet Union basically declared their whole their program, there, there's stuff that was clearly mass production in and stockpile. And they declared it. They had they already declared it to the US under the Wyoming Embassy. Okay. So they're they're old World War II mustard gas and Lewisite, there's there's Sarah there's VX. And the great great discovery that their VX was the same VX as the American VX. Too <laughs> much conservation. Uh so they there's a huge number of chemical uh um, issues like the artillery shells, air and drop bombs, and production facilities—all well, that was declared. Now, nowhere in there was anything declared about a Novichok or anything like that. Right. Okay? But all this other stuff was declared, and painstakingly, with action under international observation, with a lot of American money, really, I should say, uh, gradually, gradually destroyed and demilitarized. Okay. Uh, so you know, you can actually look on Google Earth and see where the sarin plant was in this place called Deketovka, uh outside of uh, outside of Volgograd, uh, Bul- uh, uh, yeah. and it literally got raised to the ground gradually. And yeah, and this was subject to international inspections. So all that all that happened. So Russia could, in good faith, say, "Look, we've got a chip saying we're clear of all this." <laughs> okay? Yeah. Um, uh, but then, of course, you get Sergei Scripple. and the shock of the Sergei Scripple is, you know, uh, up to that point, I'm not sure anybody ever knew more than a couple of vials of Novichuk had ever been, you know, uh, and we, and nobody, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't obliged under the Chemical Weapons Convention to talk about stuff that you had dabbled around with and had not done.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't saying.
1: Well, we had this idea, and we stopped doing this 20 years ago. You weren't obliged to say that, right? Uh, um, uh, and so there was, there was, you know, there, there was, there would be a good argument to be made, sort of circa 1995, that which was about the point that this guy Bill Merzianov, was, you know, self-publishing an awful book. He's a defector who, whom who we, who we know a lot about the Novichok program, but uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I I read these books so other people don't have to. Book, half, and I'm telling you, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's Bill. If you're lo- if you're listening to this, I do another edition. God's sake, get an editor, okay? <laughs> all right, talk to me. All right, we can turn this into a we can turn this into a readable book, okay? <laughs> uh, all right, so, uh, but you know, his his work is all retrospective. He's talking about the stuff he was doing in the sort of you know, 1980s, Yeah. okay? Uh, and so it could easily have been passed off as well. They were dabbling this, and of course, they're, they're all broke now, so what, they don't have any money for that. And all that, so for all we know, that program is wealthy. And that we're just dealing with the historic knowledge. And the historic knowledge now sits in the hands of some, you know, uh, GRU, uh, KG, whatever the KGB is calling themselves this, uh, uh, this week. Uh, yeah yeah um, so the, the 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 ability to make a vial of something or even a, you know well uh, we got several liters of this stuff left over from the old program so uh, nerve agents well made will last a very long time. yeah uh, yeah that's kind of the point. I mean uh, one of your characteristics is very accurate, chemical warfare agents Uh, good in quotations there Um, is that it has stability for a long time in stockpile so you don't have to rely on making it just before use that was something that for example Saddam Hussein never cracked Uh, uh, Assad never cracked Assad's sarin goes off in six weeks easily Um, so uh, you know is it I mean does somebody literally have a pickle jar of stuff with the the old program locked in a safe in some other bad form much more mundane places like curare and rice? Yeah. Uh, or is there actually still some ability to produce? And-
0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm
2: of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton
1: at OnePeloton.com.
0: Nobody was. knows. So, so you mentioned Skripal there, and I think that's really interesting. So, obviously, twenty eighteen, the the famous Salisbury poisoning, Sergei Skripal, who was a uh, a former GRU agent living in the UK, uh, you could call him a defector, although he actually arrived as part of a prisoner swap. Yeah. Um, what what you're saying there is that at the moment that that happened, that was a shocking, but you know, Western intelligence people like yourselves experts in chemical weapons and and so on were not aware that that the russians were were in a position to sort of use these types of agents
1: well i mean i i i i, I guess if you're if you're looking at this from the pers- from from the perspective of just making sure that somebody you don't like, Doc. this is this is part of a broader context. This is part of uh, falling out of a window.
3: Yes.
1: <laughs> falling into a window. Uh, yes. Fall, falling down the stairs, falling up the stairs. Uh, you know, somehow just, you know, winding up dead in an empty room, uh, being shot, stabbed, being run over by a car, being run over by a snowplow, uh, being suspiciously shot uh, uh, right in front of the remnant. I mean, these things all happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so in that context, poison is just kind of an option. Um, yeah. uh, we, and it's not necessarily always the preferred option. We find, for example, that,, can, you know, there's, there's I'm going to give a shout out to I'm gonna give a shout out to a specialist on this guy named Luca Trenta who uh, is at the University of Swansea studying uh, political assassinations and state-sponsored uh, killings. For example, in countries where firearms ownership is more widespread, you're much more likely to see the, the, uh, the Russia's use gun. guns. Okay. Yeah. All uh, right. Uh, you know, in countries that are just kind of borderline war zones, places like Lebanon, you know, gee, guess what? Bombs. Bombs are prevalent. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, poisons you know, are safe for situations where, the, you know, they might be useful. Okay. Uh, also depending on the poison, some deniability. Uh, There are, the Hungarians, for example, uh, there was a Hungarian defector uh, at one point in the Cold War, uh, and he was assassinated with a uh, chemical called dimethyl sulfide, uh, sulfide, and that degrades extremely quickly in human blood, and toxicology at the time didn't know how to look at that, so. Right, so so
0: that was a deniability. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Stefan uh, Bandera uh, was assassinated with cyanide. Now, hydrogen cyanide, if you, depending on how you administer it, it might not be obvious, okay? it because you 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 just look like you suffocated, or your heart stopped, you know, yeah. depending on the context. So yeah, it wasn't necessarily clear on the spot that he was poisoned. Um, you know, again. Uh, Georgi Markov was just sick. Nobody knew why. Yeah, uh, And it was only after another guy uh, got sick, got better, and they found a pellet in right. his thigh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then they said, oh, well, guess what? There's a tiny little pellet in this dead guy Markov. What's in this pellet? Okay, ricin. Because uh, ricin by injection is not something really is ever seen. Uh, no. You occasionally, you know, ricin by ingestion is something that does occasionally get seen. Yeah. Uh, around the world because I mean ricin comes from castor beans and again ricin is one of those ones because anybody can you know you can grow castor beans and probably half of those climate you know you know uh there's deniability there
0: you know yeah yeah um so coming back to the the the, the Skripal Novichok I mean obviously on one level it was completely it failed, it didn't, you know, that Sergei and his, his daughter survived.
1: Well, yeah, you, you say that, but, was you know, it, 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 in this case, the method is the message, okay? Yes. You know, it's an exotic poison that we know is invented by the functions. It doesn't really, you know, yeah. come off else in any other context, okay? Um, and so, did it actually matter if Sergei Scripple lived or died? Uh, to send that message and it's, what's the message for? Well messaging can be several levels. One is just a warning to others don't defect, even yeah. if you've been pardoned, you know, we'll get you eventually. Yeah. Uh, or it's a, also, you know, we can we can get Russians that we don't like in the UK. And, yeah. You know what? There's a lot of Russians in the UK. Okay. Uh you know, not every Russian in the UK is pro-Putin, let me tell you. Uh, mm. there's a lot of anti a lot of a lot of there's a lot of for honestly crooked Russian money here, and a lot of it is here in the UK because it's,
2: because it's abstracted
1: from <laughs> yeah. And I would suggest that there's probably are anti Putin plots on the go, and any the anti Putin plot probably has at least a little bit of a nexus in the UK. Yeah. Okay? So something that casts a pall of terror over the Russian emigrant community yeah. in, 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 in the UK uh, is a bell attack. And that, that pall of terror doesn't Really eat so he dog. the No, right? uh certainly silenced him, he's disappeared. I mean, yeah. if I was him he might disappear too, uh, it's quite possible he is seriously unwell. I literally don't know. People no, ask me all the time. Uh, yeah. uh given the, uh, so he could he could be given given the extent to which some people were seriously affected by nerve agent exposure in the Tokyo incident. It's quite possible that he could be an absolute vegetable.
2: Yep. Yeah. Or and it he could be, it to
1: it. Or it could be fine. But uh, yeah. on the other hand, even relatively low doses of nerve agents cause kind of, well, cause neuropsychiatric symptoms that range from annoying to debilitating, okay? Yeah. Uh, anxiety, paranoia, insomnia, um, you know? There was, a, there was an American soldier named Michael Yandel. I can say this because he gave me his permission to talk to uh, talk about it. And I wrote about it in my book, Toxic. Uh, he got a relatively mild exposure to sarin uh, yeah. by accident uh, yeah. from an old Iraqi artillery shell he found. And it kind of ruined his life for a while. He's back on track now, but, you know, he uh, he's self-harmed. He was terribly depressed uh, right. uh, and all that. Uh, and so, you know is some, some, something that re- degrades your quality of life. Uh, um, maybe that, in some contexts, that holds more fear than, you know, just being quietly shot in the head you you don't even feel it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there. there's a million and one ways where Sergei Skripal just could have, you know, passed out on the couch and made it look like a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, and then again, perhaps that was part of the possibilities on this, you know, because what saved him was the fact that he and his daughter went out instead of staying in if, if yeah. they ordered a deliver delivery and stayed in um, then we,
0: they just would have been found
1: yeah. days later days yep. later yeah yeah uh yeah it would have been suspicious because both of them were there you know yeah uh, if it was just him you know you know uh, whether, whether or not he would have gotten the full toxicology workup that would have been necessary or, you know uh you know, like I said, it's also yeah. If you, if you just wanted to get rid of Sergei Skripal, just get rid of Sergei Skripal, there are a million and one ways to do it. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of them don't send a message. Yeah. Uh, and this is just like the Litvinenko thing because that that the the polonium, the radioactive polonium that uh, used to 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 kill him, had a straight straight pathway back to Russia. I, yes. mean, li- I mean it literally we've we been finding it on the cushions of the seats of the uh, 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 of the airliners used uh, and having a particular specific signature to pointing to a specific production yeah. facility yeah it was so you know and they, the russians weren't pretending to hide it is as our as our mutual friend you know ed lucas we call it was it was implausible deniability
0: yes yeah. And so I'm interested in in a couple of points that comes from that. So one is that you know we're talking a couple of days after the death of Alexei Navalny. Now we don't know how he died but yeah. we do know that he was poisoned in 2020 with Novichok mm-hmm. no no doubt about that. Yeah. And uh did did sort of Novichok um in a grim way become popular uh in the Kremlin at some point around 2018 because as you you mentioned yeah. there and that's a very mm. interesting now polonium which which um I, I in my sort of layman sense feels in a way a much more risky substance because mm. it it's contamination uh you know can can be much more extensive mm. uh is is there a reason that the the russians have now turned to novichok has it become their kind of f- their go to poison or is I, it almost that the notoriety of skripal has has sort of fed. It's almost like it's a hit, and they want to keep playing that hit.
1: I don't know. I think that's all plausible. I think it's also speculation. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, There was a Bulgarian. Well, he's still alive. Uh, this guy named Gebre, who was poisoned uh, before any of this, yeah. uh, uh, And it's pipe. And it, It's clear in retrospect. It was some sort of something in kind of the nerve agents sort of yeah. family. Uh, it's plausible that that could have been, that could have been. Uh, that could have been Novichok, and uh, would he- that have
0: been the first that we know? Then, yeah,
1: yeah. Hmm. Uh, uh, there was a guy. There, there, well, well, not first that we really know. I mean, there are there are things in retrospect. You point at. there are guys who died under suspicious circumstances, and we don't really know what happened to some of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. so we can't rule it out. Yeah. Uh, it was the guy a Chicken. You know, I'm, right. not sure, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what his deal was. I'm not sure anybody knows. Um, uh, our, and our... this is
0: for for listeners. This was a Russian opposition politician who was investigating, among other things, apartment bombings back in 1999. Yeah, died in Russia, but died very suddenly, having had a sort of healthy, you know, good good, good level of health and so on. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, exactly. So, you know. I, but I, I, again, where does Novachuk sit in this pantheon? Uh, I don't know is it is it is it a is it a, is it is it a tool to use in the box and that just, just I mean if, 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 because in both of those cases uh, it wasn't ingestion or injection or inhalation it was absorption through the skin yeah okay. It was Navalny's underpants. All right. So I suspect that actually, you know, if you're looking to poison somebody through absorption through the skin, there's probably a very narrow, you know, sort of there's probably a fairly narrow set of things in their two to do that. Yeah. Okay. And the the, the series of chemicals would certainly fit that bill. Not as many things not many other things would be, you know contact poison is that effective in that small a dose. Yeah. Also delayed acting because, you know, it's not like you touch it, you immediately start getting sick. It takes hours for it to absorb through your skin. Okay. So it's a gradual, it's a gradual thing. This is why Sergei Skripal and Julia Navalny, they got ill some hours after the exposure and they got progressively slowly more ill over a period of time. until they were found on the park bench. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And same thing with Navalny. He got ill. Uh, he got ill while in flight. Okay, yeah. and perhaps the reckoning was well. The you know if gets ill in flight, you know he's just not you know uh, they're not going to divert the flight. Well, the pilot actually did the right thing and diverted the flight, and yeah. I think that I think that was a uh, disruption to the uh, to the Russian plan because because it was
0: the, it was a relatively long flight to Moscow, and if they just yeah, piled yeah. on, he would have died in the air. Probably. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, so. I could I, in all these situations, I could see how it easily would have worked to kill them. It's that yeah. something happened to interrupt that chain.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and um,
0: and and in that sense, would would we then if, if we're looking at Litvinenko, um, obviously the difference there was that Litvinenko had a meeting with his assassin who put something in the tea, the famous polonium tea. And, and you know, and that killed him. Uh Would, would it? You know, w- w- wondering why they chose polonium there, and of course we're speculating. We we don't have, you know, we don't have the Kremlin decision makers to tell us. Mm. Uh, but w- is it that one is better because if you're in a room with someone and you can interfere with their cup of tea, and another is better if you're if you're leaving a an object that they yeah. will touch. Well, I mean,
1: po- polonium is a perniciously good poison for ingestion yeah. in a cup of tea, and they easily. Could have calculated that nobody was going to detect what it was. Okay. Because yeah. uh, it is actually a devilishly difficult thing to detect. All right. So again, I'm of the theory that we're seeing sort of the tip of the iceberg on these things. We're seeing the th- we're, we're, we're seeing some of these things that are something happened that wasn't part of the planning process that led to, uh, you know, led to detection of what the method was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I so I think this so that's the that's the converse of the method is the message the method is the message it might be sort of the plan B backup behind uh, below you know maybe killing the guys proper priority, yeah. or not I don't know or yeah. maybe or, or, so you could argue both sides of this and it's possible that they're all true at the same time because yes. uh, these things can all be concurrently happening in sort of perverse cage Yeah, philosophy. well, it's sort of both um, options. Yeah. You know, what you're
0: saying is that if this works, he die. He and he and Skripal and Yulia die at home with the door closed, and nobody knows why, and they're yeah, found yeah. ten days later. If yeah. it doesn't work, the world gets a clear message about how serious we are. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And so
1: away. So whereas if you give somebody who's just bog standard food poisoning, you give somebody botulism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that can be fobbed off as a bad tinned food. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you were just okay. unlucky, and yeah. yeah, the method isn't necessarily the message, so yeah. it yeah. doesn't have that extra layer of ah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> um, uh, let so, the record reflect. I was giving it a universal symbol for uh, uh, well, something.
0: <laughs> yes, for, for the the, the audio uh, doesn't doesn't cover the, the 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 brilliant gesture that that Dan gave to uh, to accompany the the noise. Um, yeah, so we're here. We are now. Uh, the 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 tragedy of of Navalny is playing out, but I I guess um, you said a tip of an iceberg. Um, mm. Do we is, is it is it fair to imagine that that maybe that you know it's it's not just one or two very famous cases that we know about that perhaps the Kremlin has has sort of alighted on a method that it finds quite effective, and and there may be a few of these going on and and oh, yeah. will I, just I, die. I, I...
1: I, well, I, I think we have to we have to cast a broader uh, you know, look at this and, and yeah. not just look at poisonings. I mean, you know, the the number of people falling out of windows, you know, yeah. guys like you and I, we upgrade windows in Russia. Windows upgrade you. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I again, that gets to uh, that, 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 that that gets to a sort of a method that's useful there because uh, you're not going to get. If you throw a guy out a window you know you're not going to get a very good police in, uh, investigation if the guys throwing the guy out the window are the police <laughs> okay? yes yeah. um not to put too fine uh, uh, find a point on it it's easy to use such crude methods in the police state uh, yes um and so you may not you know you may not need Novichok for a lot of situations yeah. Uh, and if you get people where they're vulnerable, I mean, I just I just curious, I mean, how many sort of people who might be sort of on the C or D list of of of, of people that the Kremlin doesn't like uh, just go on holiday and don't come back? Yeah, I just yeah. disappear.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm shocked by the fact that of Skripal's family, I mm-hmm. think both his wife and son had already died. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in a fairly untimely death and of course i'm you know this is not we mm. I, I haven't investigated these things but you know that there, there are that there, there are that you know you get a lot of these deaths that need explaining yeah. um i i wanted to talk about other countries because mm. um one thing you know we we in our sort of liberal west we we talk about these things with a with a level of sort of horror and dis, dismay but if you're ruling saudi arabia or mm. um I don't know um you know maybe even india you you might l- look at this and say well th- hmm. this, th- these are quite interesting technologies and i might be interested yeah. in having some uh, no, how, yeah. how easy to replicate if, if if you didn't have russia helping you how easy would it be to to commission some Novichok of your own
1: i think it's probably uh, uh, that that's on the it's on the farther end of the difficult and yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah uh, because it, it would it involves several steps in the production process that are kind of, well, literally a dark art. Okay. Uh, and were will result of a huge amount of research and development trial and error. And uh, decades and I, of work. Yeah. And yeah. I'd, I'd say, I, if you're, a, if you're running a more boutique operation, hmm. uh, now I'll explain what I mean by that. Cause there were boutique operations. Uh, yeah. uh, t- you wouldn't need to go down, down that path to do something nearly as good. Yeah okay so you could be, uh so for example uh the pe- the now banned pesticide parathion, mm. uh, it's a cousin to the nerve agents and guess what it'll absorb through the skin uh uh it's not useful as a chemical warfare agent because of its physical characteristics uh but uh it's a very good textbook on how to make it yeah uh, uh, Coincidentally, made by the textbook was written by Gerhard Schroder, the same guy that invented sarin. Okay, uh, right. parathion is a you know it's now banned because it's frankly it's a it's a pesticide for people too, but uh, it has a track record in this in, in this dark art. Yeah. Uh, the Rhodesians uh, mm. used it in the late nineteen seventies in their very dirty war, the 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 the, the Chimarenga or the bush war, whatever you it yeah to call it. Uh, I know you yourself were in Harare. So yes. Uh, yeah. So that was a that was a off label use of this They the, the parathine was, uh, was, was, it was uh, purchasable on the world market. So uh, at that
0: time, it was in general yeah. agricultural use. Yeah,
1: yeah. Usually with a lot of warning labels, even that, by then a lot of countries required a permit for it. But if you're the yeah. Rhodesian state, you know, you go buy some, you don't need a lot uh, they got secondhand clothing, all right, trousers, underwear, shirts, and you know, basically impregnated uh, parathion, it, and would leave these things sort of around in places where where the the, the and Zapri rebels would find them. Okay, uh, and as opposed to you know, don't drink from that well; it's clearly poisoned. Uh, the idea that you would get sick and die from something absorbed through clothing was because cons- didn't really enter anybody's no and so you might just think-
0: pull on a t-shirt that you saw lying around yeah. and, and- or,
1: or, or you know they, you, you they would they would get a little bit crafty you know uh, broke leave a broken down car and this was all in the boot of the car sort of thing right. Uh, right yeah or you know uh you know bag left yeah uh, you know, bag left out or you know uh, thrown out at the back of a shop, you know, uh, right. uh, because it wasn't sellable because it was used, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, mm. I mean, so, hundred, so hundred, hundreds of people got sick. Uh, uh, there's a professional colleague of mine, uh, uh, Glenn Cross in the US, who did, did a lot of research work on that. It comes up with a grim tally in his book. I don't remember it off the top. That was an example. Uh, yeah. Over the border in South Africa, this thing called Project Coast was cooking up all kinds of these things. And, I, you know, the, the apartheid-era South Africa regime did use poisons at various points. Yes. Sort uh, of so Pinochet in Chile. He had a little bijou operation going on uh, to set up. He, he, they, they bought a house, uh, kitted it out with a lab. Um, uh, allegedly, they were able to make very small amounts of sarin. I don't know if that's actually true or not. Uh, but they could easily make, I think it's more likely that they make taboo, which is a sister chemical to sarin, based on, yeah. you know, what little I know of that program. Uh, and so, there so are... So these are historic examples. Yeah, I guess yeah. it, it what, what's, um, it, it feels well, as we get if... We got the North Koreans. The North yeah. Koreans, quite obviously, with the, right. you know, the lumper thing. Yeah. Um, I, 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 again, I think, you know, the, the 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 further away you get on the on sort of a pole of this thing, the further away you get from, you know, totalitarian despotism, the more you get into polite society, the less you want to be caught doing this sort of thing.
0: Yeah, but in in a way, one one feels slightly that the um the 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 kind of uh, the guardrails of 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 behavior are changing mm-hmm. somewhat, and and obviously yeah. the a good example of what happened to the um, Jamal Khashoggi. Now mm-hmm. that wasn't poison. No, that uh, was just. um, but you know but but in the sense that um i i think that that would not have happened were it not for uh what putin had done in yeah. on numerous occasions because it sort of it kind of moves yeah. the so called overton window almost of 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 yeah acceptable well, you yeah. know it's not actually acceptable but yeah. well yeah and things and, and you can and, get away with
1: and, and of course countries like uh us particularly us can now sail a tiny little you know, drone. To, you know, just take out one person in the car. Yeah. You use a glorified lawn dart to take out yes. somebody rather yeah, in a moving target because that's not using poison. You know, it is precise. You know, yeah. I, 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 su- I suppose it's in a lot of senses, you know, you know, 20 years ago, you might use a 500 pound GP bomb to take that car out and take up half the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, is it better? I mean, what is better or worse than all this, but it's certainly, certainly more precise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it is more controlled. Um, you when you start dealing with poisons, you you have a fair number of situations in this where there is sloppiness. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's and that 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 can make it difficult for the perpetrator. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And and maybe that's where we
0: should finish. And of mm. course, the the confirmed. Uh, fatality from the Salisbury attack is Dawn Sturgis, who mm-hmm. was, you know, in no way connected with the events. Not that yeah. the, the Skripals deserved anything, but she certainly didn't deserve yeah. anything. Um, is uh is, is is that a a sort of feature of Novichoks and poisons in general that you you have these sort of um you know there's always a risk of contamination. have I've heard people talk about the perhaps un to this day, unmeasured impact of the polonium poisoning at Litvinenko, oh. which was being spread all over London. And we don't actually know yeah. if someone uh, well, may have become ill
1: as a result. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I think every, every, every method has possible blowback. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a sniper could shoot the wrong target. Yeah. You know, or a bullet could overpenetrate and hit somebody behind the target. Okay. Yeah, And of course, uh, aerial
0: so-called smart bombs sometimes hit weddings full of you know yeah uh
1: you know sometimes the car bomb goes off at the wrong time or the guy put the car uh, the bomb in the wrong car or 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 uh it's just that the 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 i guess what am i looking for the 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 failure modes are 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 just different okay uh a failure mode in Food poisoning is if you if you know is if the chefs in the kitchen all get sick and die before the banquet, then you know something's up. Okay, yes. um, uh, you know if you're you know uh, you know if if you look out if you look out the window and all the it, all the all the birds suddenly fall out of the tree, um, I wouldn't open the window. Uh, no. uh, so just a, I mean every every possible method has got a failure mode. Uh, the failure modes in poisoning are just interesting and different. You know. Yeah.
0: You talked about the the Nixon Initiative and the OPCW, but it feels as if that that all feels rather quaint and and sort of from a from a more innocent time.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, part of it is we haven't really, truly, properly tested the ultimate guardrails at the edge of the OPCW as a mechanism for this thing called a challenge inspection. By all rights, we should have done a challenge inspection on Russia a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, that never happened. Uh, you know, Syria got admitted to the OPCW and then uh, still managed to do chemical warfare after that. So it's sort of, yeah, it's just sort of a degradation of institutions. I I don't want to end on like a glass half empty because the glass is actually half full here because largely chemical warfare isn't a thing. Okay. Uh, And... That should be viewed as actually a, a, a great victory in, in, in arms control and disarmament. Is that it's largely successful? Rather, a lot of nasty stuff has been gotten rid of under international international uh, observation. Uh, whole national programs have been disassembled, even in places where which aren't even party to the treaty, like Taiwan. Okay, uh, so
0: so that that's a that is a considerable achievement and one yeah. that we we can sort of celebrate.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, as far as, because poisons exist in nature, practically every chemical is poisonous in some context or another. You cannot, there there, there isn't a regulatory route out of, you know, using poisons to kill people you don't like. It's yeah. as old as the hills. Okay, so uh, that's, I to try to, you know, to try to ban what's already banned because murder is murder is banned. It's trying right. To, it's especially still seems
0: banned. to be happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh you know so the so uh the the really boring thing is uh, stuff I've been working on like with Interpol proving improving chemical forensic capability in the lesser developed world. Okay. Yeah. So if and when this sort of thing happens in some place like North Cyprus or you know a beach resort in Mozambique. There's at least a chance that a sample might get taken properly, okay, yes. and forwarded to an actual lab for actual analysis. And uh, you know, that's there's a lot of work to be done there, but that work has started. I feel actually quite, you know, proud that I, you know, I was part of this sort of effort that helped kick that off. So, basic yeah. stuff like that does help.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I to to end on a positive note it's not something I always succeed in doing. So, Dan, thank you for bringing us to that point, And thank you for talking to me today.
1: And uh, I'd like to give a word to my sponsor. Uh, literally, yes.
0: <laughs> William yes. Gladstone. So, yeah, tell us where, actually, yes, in, in concluding, tell
1: us where hey, you're joining us from and, yeah, and why, because that's conclu- quite interesting. In conclusion, I am, I am joining you from a conference room at Gladstone's Library, the only prime ministerial library and only residential library in the UK. Uh, I'm here on a bit of a, I guess you could call it a fellowship. I'm writer in residence for a month. Uh, courtesy of the legacy of William Gladstone
0: and there he is on the wall behind Dan yeah. um, and he's, on, uh, he's
1: on kind of every wall here
0: right well that's you know the, the grand old man as he was called yeah. yes brilliant well thank thank you for, for joining me today thank you thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Lines presented